the church altogether, right? Like we are multiple churches. We are the church. But unlike when we gather for church, this is not a time when we just open the word and teach the word. We're very specific in these network gathering times that we want our time of teaching to be a real equipping time, a time that's going to give you a practical, tangible skill or a tool that is going to help you um, live out your Christian missionary journey, believing that we're all called to be missionaries. So I don't want anyone to feel uneasy that I don't have a Bible. I, I will make a promise to you, and you can hold me accountable that I will always make sure whatever we're sharing up front is true to the scriptures. Um, we will always want to anchor what we're teaching and the equipping we're doing in the things that Jesus taught us and the scriptures that he gave us. Um, but tonight is going to be more of a practical look at microchurch and what is the engine behind microchurch that can make that thrive. So I'd like to start by telling you a little story. Uh, you may have heard this one before. A husband, and oh, actually we need this picture. Yeah, there we go. Anybody didn't eat dinner tonight? You might make your tummy growl a little bit. And I am going to use the word ham because I'm telling this in my American memory of this story, all right? Instead of gammon. A husband and his wife were in their kitchen. The husband was sitting at the kitchen table reading the newspaper while his wife was preparing a ham for dinner. The husband watched the wife cut off about one inch from either end of the ham. He asked why she cut the end off, proclaiming, that's a waste of good ham. She said, that's the way my mom prepared the ham. And the husband asked, well, why did your mom cut the ends off? Anybody hear this before? Yeah. Uh oh, there's Steve. <laughs> the wife didn't know. Later, she called her mom to find out why she cut the ends off the ham. Her mom said, well, that's the way my mom prepared it. The wife's grandma passed away several years earlier, but her grandpa was still living. So she called her grandpa and she asked, Grandpa, why did grandma cut the ends off the ham? He was silent as he thought for a moment, and then he replied, so the ham could fit in the baking pan. <laughs> this is a great story about how some things are passed down from generation to generation, and while they work on one level, it only takes someone to come along and say, why are you cutting the ends off the ham? For you to realize that sometimes we need to take a good look at the why behind the what of what we're doing. The tectonic shifts, shifts that have been happening in the church, really, it's been about 100 years of this shift. Um, I won't give you too much history because I'm not great at history. But in 1938, the International Missionary Council began to debate about how church and mission relate. Significant paradigms were shifted then in 1952 with a fresh understanding. People began to really dig in, and God seemed to be bringing this fresh revelation around the fact that God has a grand mission, and the Bible tells the story of his missio day, that his church was to be going on mission, the whole church. In 1970s, you may have heard of someone called Leslie Newbigin. 
who did a lot of writing. And he was a missionary um, and came back to this country. And actually, he was the one to go, why are we cutting the ends off the ham? He said, why are we sending all of our best people to other lands? Aren't we all meant to be missionaries in our own neighborhoods, in our own places? And that really, that was in 1952, began this big shift that we all are a part of. It's what's driven all of our big C churches to shift and shape into smaller C churches, micro churches, house churches, smaller units, so that we could get after the business of really being the missionaries that God called us as his church to be. So it's really all of our jobs to be thinking about the places where we live and thinking about how do we reach them with the love of Jesus. How can we talk and share the love of Jesus in a way that connects with them? And unfortunately, some of the activities that we've inherited as the church over the last 100 years were designed for a different era, a different age, a different mindset on how people thought and how they lived and how they organized themselves in society. And then we come to a global pandemic and a stay-at-home mandate that actually fast-forwarded the shifts that were happening when we had to rethink the activities of the church. The church was already in decline, but post a stay-at-home mandate, many didn't return because they tangibly felt the, that activity wasn't really doing anything for me, and so I don't need to go back to that. And so we, as some from Highway and some from Journey, are finding ourselves in the middle of this rethink where we're, think, we're like, how do we be church again? How do we join God and partner with him to see his church become a robust, healthy thriving, growing people who make a difference in their world. And that's what brings us all together, really, under the Microchurch Network, is can we encourage each other? Can we share resources? Can we listen to the Father together to really try to discern how we can make, make not make, we can't do anything. God has to do it all, but how we can join him to see a real, robust, thriving church in Bister, Marsh Gibbon, and all the other villages that I can't remember all the names of, right? But all the surrounding areas. Now, let me illustrate our reality a little bit better with two pictures. If you go to the next slide. So imagine that the house on the left is a new property that you just bought. When you get moved into that house, what do you think you need to do to maintain that garden? Weed, All right, give me some practical things. Mow, huh? plant, fertilize. Water. You have to give us some water, yeah? Now what if you buy the house on the right? Can you wake up in the morning and do those very same activities to get your house on the right to look like the house on the left? No, because the house on the right is going to take a little, it's going to take a different kind of work, a different kind of energy, right? What are some of the things we're going to have to do? Clear the rocks away. Come on, give me some help. I know some of you are gardeners. Level the ground. Lay the grass. We need some seeds and some 
new plants and some, we still need fertilizer, but in its own order, right? The very heart of small church in our everyday places, whether we call them house church or we call them microchurch or we call them a cafe, it is to see the church of Christ flourishing, a beautiful garden where things can grow. That is the heart of what we are carrying. Tonight, I would like to talk about two really important things I think that we must press into in this next season if we are going to be a part of seeing the church again flourish in our spaces. And the first thing is, I think we have to set our expectations for the proper season. And I might even add on there, I wasn't brave enough to put it on the screen, but we can't pine or whine for the past. We're going to have to understand that where we find ourselves, our cultural moment, our age that God chose for each one of us to be living, our time is post-pandemic. It is what we have been placed here for such a time as this. And therefore, we have to have the right expectations for this such a time as this. And I am only sharing this from practical experience because um, 11 years ago now, I think it's almost 11, God called Jeff and I, you know, and Caton's as well, to move from the U.S. to come live in Bister of all places because he was wanting to start a church. And he had put on our heart a church that was really discipleship-centric, and that was kind of a new wineskin that we didn't even really know what he was calling us to be. And so we were like, yeah, you know, in fresh energy, yes, let's go do that. And then when we got here, I had all these expectations for we were going to start a church and we were going to, you know, gather on a Sunday and we were going to preach a sermon and we were going to do all these things and we did it and we had a few wonderful people that stuck with us, but we didn't draw hundreds, we didn't draw thousands, we didn't see a massive rope. My expectations were set for big, and God wasn't yet ready to do big. What he began to show us was that actually there's a lot of groundbreaking up that we need to be doing in Bister. It isn't about the service you're going to put on. It's about getting alongside of people's lives and helping them see that Christians are good. I mean, Christians are okay. We are not good. We sometimes are bad. Sometimes we're good, sometimes we're bad. What we were trying, what we were called to do at that point in time, what God was kind of showing us was that we were called to help people see that God was good and that Christians were okay. Very basic. Get alongside of people. Love them. Help build trust. Help them learn to be able to trust those who name the name of Jesus. And that was, for us, just breaking up ground. And I do believe that we're in a new season. I think the ground in Bister, and I'd love to talk about that more, but as one who carries somewhat of a prophetic gift and has spent a lot of time with God, I really believe that he's done some breaking up around here. I think pandemic has helped that, helped some of the, the ground get a bit softened and people's hearts begin to get softened. And I think we're in a new, new season now probably of beginning to plant some seeds and lay some foundations or clear some of those you know, bumpy places. But the thing that's going to have to happen is that we're going to have to set our expectations to be where we're at instead of expecting it to be like it was 50 years ago. And so one of the first things that I'd love to do is just kind of own 
the fact that there's some things we miss. There's some things that are hard about that. When you reorganize yourself, when you've had a season of thriving and God kind of strips it away and you get back to this, you know, ground is barren and we got to replant again, there's some things that make us sad. Um, I have to say, when we moved from worshiping with a thousand um, Christians every Sunday morning in America to here, and we were just worshiping twice a month at that time, every Sunday morning, I just felt a ton of grief. I missed singing when big settings, loud music, you know, I really did grieve that, and that's okay. Change is good, but the truth of the matter is, it's not always easy. Um, Just this week, AJ turned 18, so I've now got two adult children, and trying to wrap my head around that. Um, I'm, I'm happy for them to be growing up. That's amazing, but you know what? There's some grief I carry in my heart, because... I would love to just be back in that day when I just used to read them a story every night and tuck them in, you know, and AJ didn't mind hugging and, you know, all those things. Like, we can just own some of that, that when seasons change, there's some hard things that that we miss. And I'm just wondering if we could spend a bit of time tonight talking around our tables, just owning some of the stuff that's hard, some of the stuff that we miss. And here's what I want to ask of you, though. I do want to ask, we're going to take five minutes of table time, and I want to ask that you share with your table what's hard about the new season. But I do want to ask that when you think about what's hard, if what comes in your mind feels like bitterness, don't share it, please. Okay? Ask Holy Spirit to reveal to you what's something I can share that doesn't have any anger or bitterness attached to it, just sadness, just grief, and I want, to, I want us to share that with each other, and then we're going to just take that to the Father, and we're going to ask him to comfort us. We're, not, we're going to ask for his help. We're going to ask him to, to help us to persevere with some of those things that are difficult. And I do just want to say, though, but no doubt and no shame from Jesus or me that there might be some things in your heart where you, fear, you, you feel that bitterness. And that is okay, because Jesus is in the, in the business of unrooting bitter roots and taking them away and we would love to pray for you we'd love to sit with you and counsel with you I actually want to recommend to you that if that if you're just stuck in something I would like to offer you to have a conversation with my friend Steve he is really gifted and good at just sitting across the table and helping you unpack some stuff and part of his daytime job is that he has hours to be able to do that and so I want you to know that there's somewhere you can go if you feel stuck and you need to unpack some of that. But for tonight, it's just the honest stuff that makes us sad. Can we spend five minutes around our table? Just share with one another about that. Just just talk about the reality of it. And then we're just going to take that before the Father, and I'm going to pray over us. So I hope that you were just able to put some words to maybe some of the thoughts and feelings that you had. Um, What I would love to do now is just to invite you... um, Those things that we've taken, talked about, can we just take them and lay them at the feet of the Father that, I mean, some of these things that we miss are our act of worship in the sense of, God, I'm going to follow you into the new way, and I'm not going to hold on to and demand and and want things to be like they used to be. I'm going to trust you. And so it's really an invitation for you to say, Father, I trust you, and he is the comforter. 
The Holy Spirit is the comforter. That is one of his best things that he does. All right, the second thing that I think we've got to press into, it's get back to the basics. Now, you've all got this nice little, what kind of flower is this? Somebody tell me. Begonia, yeah. So a nice little begonia plantlet, right, ready for me to put in the ground at home when we're done. Tell me what you see when you look at this plant. Roots? What do you see? Okay, so you see something that's alive. Yeah. You see dirt? Yeah, that's right. I see dirt. <laughs> Does anybody not see dirt? I'm worried about you. <laughs> growth, you see a flower. Mine's starting, it's in there, but yours has a flower on it. There's some growth. Mm -hmm. Potential. Now Luke's going deep on us. Woo, I love it. <laughs> awesome. So if we put up the next slide, I want to just make kind of a, a metaphor with this. That when we look at the flower, what we see are roots, leaves, a stem. But you know as well as I do that the roots and the flower and the stem and the leaves are not what made this thrive. Behind what we see is a framework that God has designed into plants that allows things to flourish. Now, for a plant, we know there's basic ingredients that help it to thrive, right? If you go ahead and click that next slide. Sunshine, you need a seed, you need water, you need soil, right? And if I just bought that house that has no garden whatsoever, I'm going to need to get acquainted with some of those things. I'm going to need to get my hands dirty, get back to the basics, and a lot of looking to the sky for the Creator's help right? Because you can do all, the, how many of you done the seeds in the water and put it in the sun and it didn't thrive? <laughs> Maybe that's just my gift. Um, it's not so much different with the church. We cannot make the church grow. There's going to be a lot of looking to the sky, asking God to do something. But I do think there are some basics that we can press into that can begin to press into the framework that we know allows things to grow and thrive again. I need to unpack for those of you who are new to microchurch and us using this word, I need to unpack a little bit. So this next slide is just for you if you are not familiar with what we mean when we say microchurch and why are we talking about microchurches. Mm -hmm. Microchurches um, is a word for us to help us remember that we got to get back to the basics. The basics of what the church what it is in its essence when it is thriving. And for those of us at Journey, we did a long season um, as elders at that time just to press in to ask, God, what is the bare minimum? Like for church to be church and for church to thrive, what are the things that need to happen? And we came up with these four things. Worship, and what we mean by worship is all of life as an act of worship, honoring and pursuing Jesus as Lord. Community, regularly sharing life together in friendship, sharing and daring together. Discipleship, intentionally supporting each other to hear what God's saying and doing it. And then mission, intentionally seeking to bring the culture of heaven, the kingdom that's within our hearts into our everyday places so that other people can discover it.
So when we look at church, and if you, if you find a church that is flourishing, you will find these things. I really do believe they are the minimums. Of, and there, that doesn't mean there aren't other things. I'm just saying if you really pare it down to what are the minimums, these are the things that we've settled on. And I put a big circle around it. That it has to happen in a place with other people. You can't be the church by yourself. In, in its very definition, it's a group of people. And so a couple comments that I want to um, have about... Actually, no, forget, I lost my train of thought. Give me a second. So, you know, I was talking about this flower. So in the same way that the beauty, Luke, the potential of this flower is what we see, when we look at a church in its minimum or its maximum, we'll find these minimums, this is what we see. We see a community of people worshiping, going on mission, living in community, sharing their life and discipleship with each other, right? We can't just, those aren't activities that you do. You can't just do mission as a community. It's, it's more than just a thing. Um, and what's behind the thing that we call the church, I believe, is a framework that God has set in stone. It's all throughout his scripture. Jesus did it with his life. And it's what we call, you can call it anything, it's what we call family on mission. So in the same way that the, the four main ingredients that make a plant thrive, think about family on mission as the basic ingredients that can help a church to be a church and to help it to thrive. A couple of thoughts about family on mission, and then I'm going to unpack what the components of family on mission are, and then we're going to talk about it around our tables, and then we'll be done with the talking part, okay? But a couple of comments I want to say about family on mission. And if you've been around Journey for a while, you've probably heard us talk about family on mission quite a lot. If that's new to you, um, we run huddles every once in a while called Family on Mission Huddles, where we deep dive into this topic. More than happy to run that for some of you if you need it. Um, but some people find family a hard word, family on mission. And I just want to put that out in the open, that the reason we use the word family is because all throughout the scripture, God uses the word family. And he called himself father. And he referred to Jesus as our brother. And he referred to those lost people yet to come home our lost brothers and sisters, right? He uses family language. When Jesus was walking the earth, he, his very mother and brother, do you remember, they rejected him. And so he redefined family. He actually said at some point, those who do the will of my father, they're my family. And you see him grab this group of guys, and he goes on mission and starts to do all four of those things with them. And so we use the word family just because he did. But like I said earlier about how we have, to, we have to think about the people God's calling us to reach, and we have to use language that makes sense for them. I also want to offer to you that you could use community on mission, just the same, because it really means a group of people. They're more than just like in a social club together. They're like people who are committed to one another, you know, covenanting together to, to do something, to be something. And that's what we mean when we say family. So let's call it family on mission or community on mission. The other thing I want to say is that while these four things make up the basic elements of church, discipleship, worship, mission, community, family on mission is really, it's about the ethos. It's the texture of the church. It's what you feel when we're here tonight. You feel something that there's a purpose to who we are, and, and there's a Lord at the center of us, and 
It's the, it's the thing, to be honest with you, that when some people have walked into Filter Coffee House, they go, it's a bit different in here. What is this? Why does this feel different? And I'm not making that up. We have that comment quite a lot, right, Uta? Yeah, people, they feel this texture of there's something more going on here. And that's because at its core, Filter was birthed. There's a family on mission in the background working, feeling called to create that space and bring the kingdom into that space. So just a couple of comments that it's texture, and you can also use um, community on mission if you like. Now, I want to unpack for you just what this framework looks like and how we can actually begin to tease some of that out in our own churches. First, I want to just give you a challenge. Okay, next slide. I would love for you to go away from here and dig into your scriptures a little bit and find out if you can find the minimums, worship, community, mission, discipleship, if you can find the framework that I'm about to teach you in the scriptures. Start with Acts 2, the early church. I believe it's there. Everything I'm about to tell you was there in the early church. It's there in every healthy, robust church you find. All right, moving on. Here's Family on Mission. Family on Mission has four key components. The first one is that there are some within the group who are taking spiritual responsibility for the group. Sometimes you might use the word spiritual parents, but then that's a hang-up because you don't have to be a parent or it's, it's not about that. It's about feeling a call to take responsibility. Um, what's the, the next slide? Does that unpack a bit more for me? Yeah, yeah, let's just put that up and leave it up, okay? Um, those who take spiritual responsibility, they're willing to submit to that calling on their life to be a leader or a host. They're willing to make sacrifices, which is what you find in family, right? You have, the ones who are taking responsibility, the parents, they're usually the ones making the most sacrifices. And in a family on mission, you have some people, and you don't just have parents. That's why I took parents out of there and put responsibility. Because you can have grandparents, you can have aunts, uncles, cousins, all differing levels of responsibility within a family on mission. But what is there is that there are some that are there because they feel God's called me to be there. And this is my family. And I need to help, help it become healthy, help it be robust. There's shepherding that happens by those who carry the spiritual responsibility. They see that group as their sheep, and they care about them. They're not going to let them wander without a phone call and, hey, how are you doing? What's happening? Shepherd isn't happening. And then spiritual depth is something that they're pressing into and carrying. You cannot be a spiritual parent, a someone carrying spiritual responsibility, without being deeply connected to Christ yourself. And so you, there's some spiritual depth there for those who are taking spiritual responsibility. The next thing, let's go down to the right corner. A family on mission has predictable patterns. So just in the same way as a family unit, mom, dad, brother, sisters, have predictable patterns, like we always eat dinner together on a Thursday night, or we always go to grandma's house on Christmas. Those are the things that we orbit our family life around. A family on mission has some predictable patterns. And that is why we all meet on a Sunday morning for church, because it's somewhere in the history of the church that was a really great predictable pattern, and we all jumped onto that, and we started doing that. And it's wonderful, but it's, it's not scripted that it has to be on a Sunday morning. It needs to fit the family. When can we gather? When can we connect? When can we do these three key things? Pray and listen to God and listen to each other. When can we just have some hangout time? I know one of the house churches just had a picnic today in the sun, just being. 
Like that's so important to be family. You have to have some time where you're just together. You're just being. You know, you're not, it's not scripted. You're just staying together. And then playing. Something I need more in my life. But I think we need times where we just have fun. Life is way too serious, right? We need sometimes where we're intentional. That's why we did that little game in the beginning of gathering tonight because we're like, we get so serious. Come on, let's just have a laugh. Let's get to know some people. We have to have um, places where we can play as well. Other corner, missional purpose. This is probably one of the pieces that has been neglected in that last 100-year period I was talking about, where we kind of, for, we, got, we started to have so much fun being together and being church and doing the things that we, that we were doing that we forgot that the whole reason we were doing it was for the people that were not there and that somehow we need to connect with them. Somehow we need to take this good news of Jesus to them. And so just like Jesus, he calls these, these 12 guys around him and he says, come follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. We're going to have a mission. That was their mission. That was their mission statement, their missional purpose, to become fishers of men. And we get to choose what our missional call is. We need to listen to Jesus about that. But we're hoping that there's multiple different missional things that can be happening. In order to have a missional purpose and to be pressing into that, you really need partners, or you might call that people of peace. It's hard to like get a place in the world without knowing some people in the world. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you can't take the good news of Jesus to the world if you don't know any of them, if you don't know anybody. And so that's why I say partners. Like, we need to find people of peace, people that welcome us, people that are willing to listen, people that are inviting us to serve alongside of them. You know, it might be that your missional purpose is that we serve at the food bank and we want to help provide um, food for people who don't have much. And so you might partner with a local food bank, and that becomes the missional purpose of your community. You need a place, a project, or a people. You, you kind of need to know where your emphasis is. Where are we going? Who are we trying? And that, you can make that as broad as you want. Like the filter community, their missional purpose is the neighbors and people who are connected to filter coffee shop. That's pretty broad. I mean, they can live any village all around and come and be a part, and that's who we're called to serve in that community. So a place, a project, or a people helps you to think about that, to try to decide, all right, who's God calling us to? And then you just need a purpose. And that's kind of that mission statement like that. This is what we're doing. We're trying to bring hope to young men who have you know, just come out of alcoholism or something. You have some clear, identified purpose of how you're taking Jesus' good news on mission. Then the last thing in the middle, intentional relationships centered around Jesus. A family on mission has intentional relationships, and it has people who are making, are using, having, how do I say that? People who are being intentional, that's what I'm trying to say, right? They understand how important relationships are. Family doesn't happen without intention. Husbands and wives don't connect, parents and children don't connect, sisters who live in different parts of the town don't connect unless you're intentional about it and you put it in the diary and you take time to be with each other and so a family on mission is pressing into intentional relationships and not just the relationship but we also know that at the core of the church God has called us to go and make disciples he's called us to grow 
in becoming a disciple of him to follow him. So that's why I say centered around Jesus. We need to be getting after discipleship, getting after, and that just means helping each other grow in Christ, right? Doing what he says. We need places where we can be nurtured, where we can share the hurts of our life, where we can share the heartache, and we can have somebody put their arm around us and care. We need that. And then we need accountability. None of us thrive without accountability. If, if we want to change, if we want to grow, we need someone who's going to follow up with us and ask us how we're doing and care. Otherwise, we can just slip through the cracks. So last thing I want to say about that is that when these things are in place, I really believe they, all, they accomplish something for us. Next slide, please. When you have a group of people in the core family on mission who are taking the spiritual responsibility, it gives the whole group a sense of safety. They know someone cares. Somebody's going to look after us. Somebody's going to be sending us a WhatsApp to remind us when we're getting together. It brings a sense of safety, and we all want that and need that in our communities. When you have predictable patterns set up, so if everybody knows on the second Thursday of each month we're doing this here, and then on the, every Sunday morning we're meeting here, those predictable patterns become a place of security for people. They know, I can go find my family in those places. And then when you have a missional purpose, it gives you a sense of significance, like I can make a difference. I'm not just here on the earth wondering what I'm here for. I'm here because God wants to partner with me to make a difference somewhere. And it gives us a sense of significance. And then when you have intentional relationships centered around Jesus, it brings sustainability, and I know I need to describe what I mean by that word. What I mean by that word is it won't just be one season of church that was wonderful for all of us. There will be another generation watching, catching, looking, seeing what we're doing so that they can rise up one day and do it themselves. And we live church life in such a way that they're like, I can do that. I can get a group of people and have a mission and I can take responsibility and we can set up some predictable patterns and we can be intentional about helping each other get to know Jesus. Oh, we can be the church. And my hope is that God will allow us in our lifetime here in Oxfordshire to begin to see 30, maybe 50 of those small family on missions rise up that the church can begin to be a thriving garden, a growing, beautiful place that can catch those lost brothers and sisters so they can find home. And that's why we're all here. We're saying, let's link arms and do that, right? That's what Microchurch Network is. It is, let's come once a month, learn some tools that are going to help us, and then go back out in our places, in our spaces, together as family, and try to get after the things that God has put on our hearts. So I'm so excited at what God is doing to bring us all together. It's been a long season of highway and journey being sisters from a distance and now come you know starting to say all right what's up God are you asking us to take another step and we don't quite know yet we're still waiting on his final go but we're pressing into that and that excites me and I think there are some other people out there with callings on their heart the last thing I want to say I keep saying the last thing don't I (laughs) I got about seven last things um if if you're like I don't feel these s words in my life you might need to just have a look at, go back, have a look at what those things are and ask yourself, am I pressing into that? Am I doing some of that with my family on mission, with my church? Because those are the things that lead to it. All right, here's what we're going to do for the last 10 minutes of this time. 
I just want you to go to your tables and talk about whatever you just heard. What are the thoughts you have? What are the questions you have? This is not the last time we're going to talk about it, so don't feel like you got to wrap it up in a bow. Here's some suggestions of what you might talk about if you don't know what to talk about. Okay, we're all at different seasons in our participation in this family on mission. And sometimes it's just helpful to recognize what season you're in so you can press into that. Because it's okay if some of you are just beginners. You're like, I'm just a child at this family on mission thing, and I just need to go along and get in the mix and see what's happening for a while and receive, and that's okay. And then there's some of us who are like, actually, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and I think I need to own my grandparent role. I need to be encouraging and helping these other people. So it's just interesting to think about that. Another part would be just to think about your microchurch and what area might need strengthening. So off you go, 10 minutes. Mm -hmm.